0: Our ninth lesson is taken from Micah chapter 5, and though it is printed for you in the bulletin, I would encourage you, if you have brought your own Bibles this morning, that you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, Micah chapter 5, and if you'd like to have a Bible this morning, didn't bring one, you can take the one that is in front of you and you'll find Micah on page 778. Follow with me as I read Micah 5, verses 1 through 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little, who are too little to be named among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time... When she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father. As we come before your word this morning. We ask uh, that you would speak to us, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts and our minds, that we might see what you have to say to us. Father, may your spirit work those things deep into our hearts, as only you know we need them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been going through the minor prophets, George has reminded us over and over again that you can't really understand Micah or all the other minor prophets that we've looked at, or your Old Testament for that sake, unless you understand that this is a story about Christ, a story about Jesus. It's only as we see Jesus that we begin to fully understand these things that are even here in Micah chapter 5, and he's reminded us over and over again, going all the way back to our series in Revelation, that Jesus wins. Over and over again, we've heard that on Sunday morning, Jesus wins. But I imagine that some of us at different times have found ourselves in this sanctuary, maybe even this morning, saying to ourselves, Well, I know that. I know that in the end, Jesus wins. But what about right now? What about right now? Because right now in my life, it doesn't seem like Jesus is winning. Some of you would say, even this morning... I'm in the midst of a, of a marriage that is seemingly falling apart. I'm in the, I, I, we've got so many problems in our family and so much dysfunction and hurt. It doesn't seem like Jesus is winning right now. Maybe some of you would say this morning, my finances are in a mess. I don't know, I don't know how we're going to make it through the end of this year. Some of you might be saying, I, I've lost my job, or I'm, I think I'm about to lose my job, or I've been without a job for a long time. How is, how is Jesus winning in my life right now? Others of you might say, I have so many broken relationships. So many places where what was once great and beautiful for me is now hurting. Some of you would say even now, I, I'm, I'm struggling with such great loneliness. I just feel alone. And at Christmas time, it seems that it even increases my loneliness. While others are feeling joy, I'm feeling greater loneliness. And still others of you might say, I've been struggling with this addiction for years, with this anxiety, for years, with this depression, for years. I feel surrounded on all sides with no way out. So, what about now? Well, this is exactly where we find God's people in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. God's people are in an unsettling, even an unnerving situation. You see, the glory days of Israel are, are gone. The glory days of, of David and Solomon when everybody wanted to come to see what was going on in Israel. Everybody wanted to be an Israelite where the economy was great. Where, where people felt great pride in who they were as Israelites. Those days are gone. And now what they have before them are days of fear and days of humiliation. Not just that they're <clears throat> afraid of how they're being surrounded on all sides. But also that they're just being mocked, mocked and humiliated by these other nations, by other people. And they're thinking to themselves, we're supposed to be God's people. God promised us victory. God promised us that, that that we would prevail, and yet all of those things seem lost right now as people mock us as we're surrounded, as we live in fear, as we feel like there's no way out. Can you imagine what that what that's like? Can you imagine? Some of you this morning, maybe all of us, yes, we can imagine that. We either have been there or we are there. And you see, into that that situation, that unnerving situation, that unsettling situation, God brings an unlikely answer. We see that in verses 2 and 3. He says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, I'm going to bring forth a king from you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah. And you think to yourself, if you had been an Israelite at this point, Bethlehem, Ephrathah? From there? From that place? From nowheresville? Do you know that there's 400 cities mentioned in the book of Joshua as they talk about going into the promised land and how great the promised land is? 400 cities and Bethlehem, Ephrathah is not one of them. Some of you who are really good at knowing your Bibles are like, oh, no, Todd, there's a, there's a Bethlehem in there. And you're right, there is, but not this one. It's not, even the, it's not even the top Bethlehem, let alone making the top 400 cities that are mentioned here. Some people might say, "Well, yeah, but you know what, that's where King David came from. Yeah, but you see that even that was unlikely. Samuel had to be told by God, hey, you're not going to find the king here, that you're the new king here in Jerusalem. And Samuel would have thought, no, this is, this is where kings come, right? Jerusalem, you know, New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, this is where kings from come from. No, 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 you need to, you need, Samuel you need to go to Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Not, not the Bethlehem you know, the other one. Go there. And even, even the choice of David was unlikely. Do you remember the story? Remember how Samuel said to Jesse, we'll bring your sons out. So Jesse brought his sons out, the ones that looked and acted like kings. And Samuel went through them and and God kept saying, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. And finally, Samuel had to go, Jesse, do you you have any other sons? And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, there's David. He's out, you know, he's he's a shepherd. We can, we'll bring in David. And God says, that's the one. And you see here, when Micah is prophesying, the word of God coming to us, see, 700 years later from this moment, there is going to come another unlikely king. And just like David, maybe even more so, it's going to be a surprise because this unlikely king, you see, God will choose a peasant girl to be his mother. And God will choose a carpenter to be Mary's wife, a Mary's husband. God will Choose two very poor people, common people, to be his parents. This king, this unlikely king, will be born in a cattle stall with manure and filth all around. Joseph will have to kind of sort of clean things up to make it work. And even as this unlikely king lives his life, he will be someone that just looks common, just looks like everybody else. Isn't that what Isaiah says? Nobody really could tell who he was. And he will end up dying a shameful death on a cross in a garbage dump. This unlikely king, this unlikely answer that God brings. But don't you understand, dear loved ones, this is exactly what God does every time. Throughout scripture, he's always taking the nothings, the no ones, the nowheres, And he's saying, I'm going to bring my glory through that. Because I want people to understand that I am God. That it's not me depending upon man. That I'm the one who is going to bring my glory into this place. And you're going to see that it's by my hand. And you're not going to have any doubt that this is God. This is not a story that we told this morning. That God's word has told us. This is not a story that man could create. We would never create it. And no one from nowheresville is going to be the king, the unlikely king. But this is what God does. Isn't it the way that, that Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians when he describes the gospel coming to these people in Corinth? He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And he goes on, where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. As it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is what he does. He brings an unlikely king out of an unlikely place. And in doing so, We find in King Jesus an unassailable peace. Notice what it says in the opening line of verse 5. It says, and he, this unlikely king, he shall be their peace. Notice that it doesn't say he shall bring peace. It says he shall be their peace. How? How does that work? What does that mean? I think it's explained for us in verse 4 in two ways. First it says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He will shepherd in the strength of the Lord. This unlikely king will be all-powerful. He will be sovereign to the ends of the earth. He will rule over everything. He will have unlimited power. And in that unlimited power, he will hold you, dear ones, as a shepherd. Holds his flock. He will care for you like that. And in his hands, you are protected. That's why Paul can write in Romans 8, and we know, and we know that in all things God works because he is all powerful. So he will hold your life in his hands. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 31. I will trust in the Lord. My times are in your hand. What does that mean? It means, dear ones, that you cannot die a second sooner than the Lord has ordained. And you will not live a second longer than the Lord has ordained. This great, all powerful one is your king, the unlikely king who is the shepherd and holds your life in his hands. You are secure in that. You say, Is there no suffering? I'm I'm suffering. Does this mean I'm not supposed to be suffering? No. In this world, we will suffer. It's not that there won't be suffering, but friends, it means that there will always be a purpose in your suffering. Your suffering will not be wasted. God, your king, your shepherd, holds you even amidst your suffering in his hands. And then he says, They're at the end of verse 4. And they shall dwell secure. They shall dwell secure. What does that mean? It means that in Christ we have this union with him. We are united to Christ in the gospel. United to Christ as he has died for us. And been, uh, been raised again for us. And ascended into heaven. In that we are united to him. And our union with Christ. And our future with Christ are secure. And that is why Paul can say nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing that is here on earth, nothing that is in the, the realms, nothing anywhere, nothing, nothing spiritual, nothing earthly can ever separate you from Christ. You dwell secure. You're in the hand of your king, your shepherd. In his power, you are united to Christ. That's why the songwriter says, one with himself, one with Christ. I cannot die. I dwell secure. My future is guaranteed. That is why you could be in Donetsk, Ukraine right now and you could know peace. That is why you can be facing a cancer diagnosis and going through cancer treatment right now and you can know peace. That is why you can be struggling through a through a marriage that seems to be falling apart, through a family that seems to be falling apart, and you can know peace right now. That's why you can be facing financial disaster and you can know peace right now because Christ came to be your peace. You're secure in his hands and your future is guaranteed. Remember what Christ said to his disciples on the night before he went to the cross? He said to them, I have said these things that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, you'll have suffering. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This unlikely king comes into your unsettling, even unnerving situation. Your unnerving reality and brings to you himself. As your unassailable peace. Praise be to Christ. Did you pray with me? Heavenly Father. Thank you for the beauty. And the truth of your word. Take these things. Seal them to our hearts. That we might know the reality. That you have come. To be our peace. Amidst our suffering. Amidst our fears. Amidst our anxiety. Amidst our depression. Amidst our brokenness. You shall be our peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.